You're listening to OK Now Listen, a bi-weekly show where we chat about what's on our minds, what we're binging, and what's blowing up our timelines. I'm Sylvia Obell. I'm a culture writer, host, producer, and lover of Beyonce. And I'm Scotty Bean, a media personality, content creator, music enthusiast, and wing connoisseur. <laughs> it's officially summertime, Scotty. And you know, this is not how I saw the start of Yo, my summer going. Like, I I miss outside, Scotty. I miss it. Will we ever see it again no. is really what I want to talk about on the check-in today. Or just the reality <laughs> no, hitting no. me. She said no. no. The reality hitting me that we not... It's really, like, it's not over for this year spiritually, but, like, physically? <laughs> like, I'm realizing that, like, oh, like, this is not just a, a quarter thing. You know, like, this is not just, like, we lost spring um, or Q2. We're losing Q3 as well as <laughs> how did you realize you lost fall is my question i realized because... i lost fall when my hbcu north carolina a t state university canceled mm. the greatest homecoming on earth yes i said it i don't want to hear it i just need jiho jiho just... and i was really like i was really uh, intent on going to be dragging Scotty this year. It's like the guys don't want Scotty to go to G Hub, but we gonna That's figure. That's crazy. It's wild, but like so for for the people for the PWIs and the whites who may be listening, like HBCU homecomings are a big fucking deal. They're huge. Like it's massive for Greensboro, North Carolina, where my school is based. It's the number one. It was like definitely when I was there, it was like it's top five money maker for the city. Like it's mm-hmm. that big, ten mm-hmm. thousands of people. So when I realized that A and T was canceling Jiho, which is its number one money maker, the city's biggest, all of that, I was like, oh, because it's not till October thirty first. That's what so I'm gonna like, say. Y'all wait until Thanksgiving to have y'all homecoming. <laughs> no, so well, see I the HBCUs. Know. They they do it on a schedule. Like everybody, like I think they come together and figure out so they're spread out. They're like, we can't have more than two to three of these things happening at the same time, or else the world might explode. I always know Jiho to be the last. Like that is the last. And for for what's oh Jesus? Why (laughs) can't we just have a moment of just humble? (laughs) Again, right. Sorry, okay, but back to the issue at hand. I had all plans to hit up Spellhouse. I had plans to go to Jiho, you know, yes. so I was like, damn. Because I realized that once once Jiho got canceled, I was like, oh, this they're, they're, they're not going to be the last HBCU to do this. But it just made it clear to me that all the HBCUs were going to cancel, essentially, like yeah. you're saying. So that is like for us, especially for like just the culture, like that's a big that's a big, that's one of my favorite times of the year. That might be next to Christmas, my favorite time of the year is homecoming season. So, Yeah, and also the best, the the first best, I know you're talking about the second best, but the first best time of the year would be my birthday, October 3rd. So <laughs> you're, you're correct. I'm turning, <laughs> yes, absolutely, it's the best time of the year. And so I know when Jiho said that they weren't doing something, I said, okay, so that means my birthday is a wrap. Niggas already have planned that, like, my 30th is not happening, which means I'll be 29 for another year. <laughs> that's all. That's I, only what it means. I feel like that's fair. I feel like it's fair. And it's I facts. feel like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm 91 now. I was born in 91. So please. Oh, it's not get crazy. That sounds so Respect. young. I know it sounds <laughs> so crazy. 
But here's the thing, like, I can't not. Like, I have to say, I had a whole plan, Sylvia, my whole I know. We had, we had plans. You had plans. We had plans. Some of the promo for the podcast. Like, we, right. <laughs> we had plans. plans. I barely skated through the, the closed doors. Like, it was like, I, my birthday's in February, so, like, I made it right through that was before a, everything. That was the thing. fucking last time I went out <laughs> was on your damn birthday. I Why she say more? Like, you I didn't, I didn't drink more. as much. <laughs> we should have got drunk. We, I was over here worried about this nigga birthday and making sure she's enjoying herself. <laughs> I'm not drinking as much as I should have. And that's the problem. And even like, Scotty, you were talking about how even career-wise, right? Like, what does that even mean for the, like, the rest of our, like, other aspects of our lives? I was thinking about, you know, what, what is my career going to look like now? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When, you know, I, I'm hoping that shooting you know, campaigns and things like that still w- will exist in the near mm-hmm. future. Um, I just know that it'll all look different. And I'm just wondering how that would look. You know, people are having to reinvent their whole career. Like, basically, you know, restructure things from the ground up. Build a new foundation because what they've done before does not work now. So, yeah, I was like, you know... Uh, what does that look like, look like for me? And sometimes that might put me in a really dark mood because I like to work. I like to be outside. I like to work outside of my home. I said, I think previously, I was very clear on like this. My home was seen as the place where I would leave my work and troubles at the door. And oh. I don't, you know, I see my house as like a sanctuary, a place where yeah. I just come and, and feel like I don't have to do anything. I can mm-hmm. just relax and, and take time for myself. But now it's become my office. It's become <laughs> where I have to go to therapy. It's become, you know, all these different places. That's um, so real. So That's it's so like real. I'm really struggling with trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like for me as a media personality doing all these damn Zoom interviews, doing all these damn like all IG these lives. damn like and yeah all IG live these panels that are mm-hmm. happening are going to be through zoom now so there's no physical like interaction where i'm sitting next to that person and i can feel that person's vibe i can feel that person's yeah. energy anymore i have to tell straight from zoom or what your eyes are telling me <laughs> or, or even what like the feeding f- off the audience's energy like right it's like you're somebody who like when i watch you work like you feed off of the crowd right, right. and it's like right and now, now the like there is-, is no crowd i mean there's crowd but they're just watching from home so no. it's like Girl, what y'all doing? Like, I need to hey, know what y'all... Are y'all clapping? Y'all all right? Y'all, y'all right? <laughs> Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? Put an emoji if you feel me. Please, because <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Um, I don't know how else, like, this is... Yeah, this it's, is it's rough. Different. And it's like, and then I think even when you're thinking about playing your life, like, the hard thing is that life is still going while we're all kind of paused. And it's like, how do you balance that? Because, like... For me, even, it's like I, you know, when I went into this quarantine, I had a full-time job. You know what I mean? I have always been like a salary girl journalist who like worked for a newsroom. And I'm, I like, I thank God that I was already planning to transition into freelancing and working for myself before this happened or else I would have really been out of luck when the furloughs hit BuzzFeed. But, like, for me, I was already, you know, working on other projects like this podcast. And, you know, so was transitioning out. But, like, it's also now that I don't have a newsroom job or anything, you know, and we do this podcast remotely, 
And then I'm in a city where it's like, I can't go anywhere I can't walk to because I need a car. It's really like, and then my lease is up next month. And I was planning on living, you know, moving to my own apartment. And now I'm like, am I going to be paying New York City rent when New York City is essentially shut down? as far as I'm concerned, for the next year, right? So, like, it makes more sense to save money in some way and not be here. Right, and I just need people also to stop asking what's next. Nigga, you, you in the house, just like I'm in the house. Stop. Somebody asked me that, that yesterday. What you got going on? What you got up next? Up next, nigga? I'm in the house. I'm in the house. <laughs> well, up on my, ne- on my Netflix queue, on my Netflix queue, I got Queen of the right. South coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> like stop stop it please stop talking about things like people don't know what the fuck is going on they're trying to figure out figure it out as they go you should be too you know what i'm saying if you're not god bless you sir but i i just i need people to like give everyone grace especially with their career with what's going on you know give everybody some grace so yeah it's a really um unsure time and just the fact that it's like there's still no vaccine there's no solution to the coronavirus it's the solution is that america is making is that f it fuck it we going to keep going outside and it's like eh. right so and the fact that and in, in, in you saying not you sylvia but people saying oh i can't get sick i've already had it or you know um i got tested <laughs> and i can't get it or whatever the fuck it is what or i'm asymptomatic or whatever the fucking excuse is you can still get somebody else sick and i really wish i would care about humanity care about the brother and sister next to you you know what i'm saying instead of caring about yourself so much i understand but you can still pass it along you could pass it on there's just so much uncertainty and i don't have the answers i get it like me and Scott, you do not want to just be in the house alone either you if you know us you know we are very social people like we like to be outside as much as the next hot girl in the summertime but it's like this is our reality and we want to make it to 2021 like I would really like to get there and while and while we can't really get our hopes up for having another hot girl summer you know Mm. what we can do Sylvia what's that what can we do talk about some fine ass daddies (laughs) (laughs) that's not where I saw that going but okay let's do it Let's talk about some fun ass daddies. Let's talk about something fun. <laughs> Let's have some fun. So, Father's Day was over the weekend, but who says we can't spend some more time appreciating some daddies, some mm. fine ass daddies? Mm. Because honestly, ain't nothing more fun than watching the black man take care of his responsibilities, including his <laughs> children. <laughs> Okay, it's attractive. You better Ain't be breaking like these stereotypes it, and defeating the odds Ain't of systematic like it, racism to Hello. love on some black babies. We're here mm. for it, and we're here to celebrate y'all, okay? So, and the only way we can, which is as two single women with no children, is to appreciate other fathers. So, right. here we are. <laughs> so Let's pick our top three. So, like, I'm going to rank my top three, and then, mm-hmm. Scotty, you can tell me yours, okay? okay. And then we'll, we'll see how we figure this out. Okay. And play at home, kids. Use the hashtag, okay, now listen, and let us know how you feel about this or who your favorite people are, okay? Right. So, coming in at number three for me and this is hard to even give them one two three because all three of these niggas is fine i'm here to say okay (laughs) Okay, for me but coming in number three is idris elba okay okay idris elba 
but he's like grown ass man fine right which is like what i think about when i think about a fine father like because it's like he's just like sophisticated and like mm-hmm. he has that accent mm-hmm. and he's like like a like a expensive bottle of red wine like full-bodied mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and aroma like you know he, he just, smells he, good he's thick and he's like mm, like he, he knows he'll take you know? care like he's the type of be like i'll take care of it don't you worry i'll take care of it i love it i can take care of it kind of nigga who can really take care of it Please, acts of service is probably his love language. And he grays well. And you like a man who can gray well. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, he got a little salt and pepper thing going on. So anyway. Right. Yes, Idris Elba, Idris Von S. Elba, you will always be in my top three. I just want you to know that in case you're listening. Um, Coming up at number two is Lenny Zaddy Kravis. Jesus. Okay, this is a lineup. Okay. Lenny, let's like let's talk about it because I really thought this through and I wanted to pick men who were like fathers oh, for like, like for a while, right? Because it could be easy to pick people who are just our age who happen to be dads. But when I think about fine men, like dads, I think about like sophisticated, like just like a generation slightly above us, just like it was sexy to me. Like to me, with Lenny Kravis is like. Then you could tell he meditates. You could tell he knows how <laughs> oh, to yes. emotionally manage. You know, like <laughs> I. He drinks eight glasses of water a day minimum. I know that he knows how to speak to people. You know, mm. he thinks before he speaks. And he's a great father to Zoe Kravitz. Because Zoe Kravitz is also beautiful. Like, they're both gorgeous, and they, they have such a good friendship. Half the time when they walk around carpet together, they look like they could be low-key a couple. And that's just because they're fine, and because she looks like her mama so much. Shout out to Lisa. Ooh. But, like, I... Who, honestly, here's my the favorite. Real, like, I, I remind... The real, the real winner here is Lisa. Hello. I always tweet this. I've been tweeting this for five years. Annual reminders that Lisa Bonet got Lenny Kravitz and Jason mm. Momoa at the, like, in the same lifetime. Mm-hmm. Who gets that? Who gets to have those are her baby daddies? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's ridiculous, and it really just puts her in the Hall of Fame right next to the only person who tops Lisa's fortune to me is the woman who is whose baby daddy I'm about to name next, Erica Badu, because oh, yeah. Andre three thousand. Okay, Andre three thousand is my number one choice yeah. because Andre is just. Like, I think when I think about classically fine, I think I put, like, just, like, if you just make that, that's all it is. Like, yes, Lenny and Idris are probably finer than him to most people, including, like, just in the face, right? Even in the body. Like, Lenny and Idris both got six-packs and pecs and all that stuff. Andre's a little skinny, but he's just, I love a creative-ass nigga. Like, I just love, like, Andre will, like, rap sonnets to me, and, like, I love his accent, like, I, a New Jersey girl, outcast like most people, was one of the first times I really got to listen to rap from down there. And I was just like, bury me in Andre's accent. Bury me in it. If I had to mm. pick a resting place, it would be an mm. Andre 3000 Southern Draw. Because that man, the way he talks, it's so sexy to me. And just the way his mind works. And the thing I like about him and Lenny is that they're very comfortable in their masculinity. Like I love how comfortable they are in their masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like they, they they make fashion choices that like like not that's not always that sometimes it's feminine and like you know sometimes they'll paint their nails or like something like that or like have hairstyle that's you know I'd be like damn babe your hair look better than mine today that's crazy but like I 
I love Andre. And I think it's for me because I'm always like, as a creative, I'll always be into a man who's just talented on the mic like that. Andre is fine. Andre, Idris, and Lenny. I don't talk about them often, but I think when I think about fathers, like daddy, like grown ass men, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm looking mm. at. What's your list looking like, Scotty? Okay, so my number three, coming in at number three, would be Lakeith Stanfield. Okay. He okay. is a daddy. He, he is, is a father. He's a daddy. He has a baby girl. Yes, he might be a bit skinny, but I do love the way his <laughs> mind works. Okay, I... I love that he's very, very severely talented. I love that he tries to, you know, uh, to dip his toe in other lanes, such as music and other things. I think, you know, a man that's deeply into the arts, too, I'm a fan of. And I could tell that Keith Stanfield is just that. Plus, mm. he has the most mesmerizing eyes ever. <sighs> the way he looks he, at you. The way he looks at Issa Rae and photo, you know, and photograph. And then- <laughs> It's like in photography. In ph- photography. In <laughs> photograph is like one of my favorites. Like I Dangerous. I love the way he looks at whomever he's in love with. It's seductive. Um, it's like a seductive lazy ass. Yeah, know, it is. It beautiful. is it's something beautiful to see. I kind of feel like Andre Andre walks so Lakeith could fly. Then we got <laughs> Serge Ibaka coming at number two. Oh, a surprise! That's a wild card Lord. pick. That is Lord. a wild Lord. card pick. Let me tell you something about Sergi Baca. Yes, he's fine. He's chocolate. He's tall. He's built. You know, he don't play. He's from, I think he's from the Congo. You know, the man doesn't walk light at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. he, he he's carrying some heavy loves things. To piss the ground off. You hear me? Like he <laughs> is that man. He's built. Yes, look him up if you don't know who I'm talking about. Um, he plays for the Toronto Raptors. He's fine. Uh, but <laughs> aside from that, mm. the man loves to cook. Now, Does if he? you want to get me in any way, shape, or form, it's to pick up a spoon and start to whip <laughs> that shit right in front of me. <laughs> that nigga knows how to cook. He has a little cooking show, I'm sure, or something like that, some kind of cooking vlog or something like that going on. And I was like, yeah, I'm for it. So you mean you could feed your family? Abs- literally? Absolutely. Aside not from just pay for the food. You can also not just feed pay for the family. food, but you can whip it up in the kitchen. Like you, you can bring you, home the bacon and cook it. Hello, fry it, <laughs> so, bake it, however you like it. Flambe, whatever you want to do, <laughs> sweetheart, you can do it. The world's yours. Aside from that, too, he speaks four languages. Okay, shut up. You don't know real life until you've seen him actually uh, respond to three different questions in three different languages fluently okay you don't play with Serge Serge don't play with you that is my number two pick and last but certainly not least my number one okay drum roll my number one in this rank (laughs) drum roll please is Michael motherfucking Ely, you hear me? You got to the motherfucker when you say it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't need to really point out why. Y'all know why the man is fine beyond you. I don't get it. Sometimes I just sit in just amazement of how God can really wrap his arms around our, like, 
these beautiful <laughs> beings and be like, here, and release them to such an earth that is trash. You released took his these, time. Just, took his time with Michael. A double portion. So you know, fun. And everybody like, it was like God spilled, me, right. but he didn't mean to. And then Put everybody keeps asking me, he's like, somebody said on Twitter, like, it doesn't bother you that he threw them kids out the window? Fuck them kids. <laughs> Honestly and truly, because it's Michael Easy. Y'all don't understand what I'm saying to you. All right? I, them kids, who are kids? Never heard of them. Don't know Not them. the kids from Four Color Girl. Goodbye. Fuck <laughs> them kids. Goodbye. Wait, please, for the people at home, she's talking about in a movie, not in real in life. Movie. No, no, no. It's a movie called For Color Girl. For Color Girl. He did throw them kids out that window. God and they were damn. Like, it don't bother you. No, it don't bother me. <laughs> I First love of all, it him. Was fake. Second of all, he was fine when he did it. Still, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Hello, uh, God forgive us. Uh, oh, she Lord, said, "Fuck them kids." Words of Michael kids. Jordan. Let me tell you something. We gonna take our time with Michael because he deserves. And if we were ranking this whole list together, I would be just fine putting him at number one. He is because one, the Lord. first time I saw Ricky in the barber shop. Oh. Mm. Which okay. is the first time I saw Michael Ely. Okay. I know, because I was not even, I was, I had to be like 11, 12. All I know is it was one of the first times I remember realizing that something else goes on when you're an adult. Like, yeah. I was like, what's this I feel in my, like, what's this tingle I feel in my mm-hmm. body? Exactly. Watching this man I've cut never. hair. I was like, why, is he, do they, do they always make men like this? Jesus. Like, is this what growing up is like? Like, I remember being a preteen having very adult thoughts about Michael Ely and being like, what, what is, what does this mean? What's happening? How, do you, how does a man look like that? He and definitely then, confirmed that I was straight. And I'm sure he confirmed to some people that they weren't like, <laughs> like he just confirmed people across that, the board. His voice. If you take a moment, <sighs> you know, that's the take your time. When he was in, what's that movie? Uh, the horrible, the horrible book <laughs> by Steve Harvey. What's his, what's the name? Oh, think it? like a man. Think like a man. <laughs> Yeah, so that movie, book. which is great. It was it's a good a, movie. It was, good movie. It was very cute. It was better movie than it. it was a book. Better Absolutely. movie than a book. <laughs> but the way he treated Taraji, come on. He, the way he was come cooking on. for her on that rooftop while come John on. Legend played in the background. I was like, tonight is the night we lose control. Hello. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I don't care. Tonight Nigga had no tonight. job. Not a job in sight. Okay. I'll take Never care heard of, of you. <laughs> I said, Taraji, girl, put your pride aside, girl. This, do you see him when they woke up the next morning? He cooked. He made a meal out the leftovers in her fridge. Yes, which was I was like, don't be going through my shit. But, <laughs> but I love that. We didn't even talk about the eyes, which is how you. I mean, know. we don't even need to talk about the eyes. They, they speak for themselves. But his hair. I don't even like cornrows, and he won me over with cornrows in the barbershop. And that was a wig. That Wasn't that fine. a wig? Was it? I mean, no, because he took it out in the second one. Like, he had, like, the whole... You remember that was the thing where it was in to have, like, the half-fro, half-braid situation? Mm. It's not a Tyler Perry movie, so I don't think it was a well, wig. Well, still, niggas <laughs> can still wear wigs. It's good know. wigs, but, yeah. We could thirst all day, but like you said... This is where we at. That's the list. Um, with Michael E's at top for sure. Them mm. eyes. I think Andre is a fair second for both of us. Yeah, on this list absolutely. particularly, absolutely. Andre's a fair second, and third would be. I feel like Idris and Serge are like the same kind of 
They're giving me like this. I have the same thirst reasons for both of them. Like they're both international. They're both dark, tall, and handsome. They both look like they can lay the pipe. Well, <laughs> well, 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 well. It's a tie. They tie for third place for me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll agree with the tie. I'll take tie. So I think we did great. I think we yes, did amazing. Great job. So if y'all got some fine ass daddies that we might have forgotten, again, please let us know by using the hashtag. Okay, now listen. And if your daddy is fine as hell, please. If you all got some more fine ass daddies that we might have forgot, not yours personally, but you know, celebrity ones. Please let us know using the hashtag, <laughs> okay, now listen, and we will most definitely assess if we need to update this list. We will yeah. assess it. We are here for all feedback. Right. We know how crucial it is for black women and black men to love and support one another, but it's also just as crucial to see black men love on black men. We had the chance to chat with the one and only Spike Lee about his newly released Netflix film, The Five Bloods, and discuss just how important depicting that love was for the making of his film. Check it out. All right, we are here with the master storyteller himself, Spike Lee. Welcome to OK Now Listen with Sylvia Obell and Scotty Beam. How are you feeling? How's your heart, Spike Lee? Day by day. Day by day. Day by day. In your spirit? Day by day. Both day by day. I feel yeah, that completely. Yeah, two pandemics. Right. Corona and, and racism. racism. Mm -hmm. You know, black, black bodies being killed left and right. Right, right. Yeah, and we definitely want to talk about that. But first, let's start by talking about your new movie, The Five Bloods. Talk to us about the moment that you knew you had to make this film. Like, what inspired you to tell this story specifically? I mean, any film that I've done in, in, in all these, these four decades is the story I want to tell at that particular time. But this project was brought to me. It is not something that uh, I originated. Mm -hmm. it, and uh, I liked it. It's written by Danny Bilson and, and Paul DeMeo. And it was, and Oliver Stone had it for two years and he decided not to do it. Mm -hmm. And right before I was getting ready to shoot Black Klansman, I had a meeting with the producer, Lloyd Levin. Also was with me was my co-writer, Kevin Wilmot. And we both liked the script, Lo in fact, loved the script, but we flipped it and made and turned the, the Vietnam vets into Black Vietnam vets. Right, okay. And what went into making sure you can accurately and with intention, tell this story. Research. I do research in all my films, whether they're documentaries or narrative films. I always do research. And uh, Kevin and I watch all the documentaries, all the films. Mm -hmm. and, and we read books. There's been a whole lot of stuff about the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And before we released the film, I had four separate screenings of this movie here in New York for black and brown Vietnam vets. So, I mean, they were there. They were shipped to the United States of America all halfway across the world when they were 17, 18, 19 years old. Right. And so, and they loved the film. For me, that was the validation. Yeah. Because they put their lives in line for this United States of America. Many of them, their buddies, friends were not so fortunate. 
and here they are, middle-aged men, and they and they thank me and joke. And a lot of them said, "Spike, what took you so long?" (laughs) And uh, they loved the film. So that's for me. That's my validation right there, because these were the cats that were in the jungle. Yeah, I also um, realized that the Vietnam War was the backdrop of your upbringing you know like you're the, the time period when you were growing up and then 67 i was 10 years old right and then it, 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 the war went on for so long that i sometimes when i think back i wonder like what it must have felt like growing up not knowing when it was ending not knowing if you would reach the age where maybe you could get drafted how did growing up would be like that as the backdrop impact you thank you for the question mm-hmm the Vietnam War was the first war that was televised into American homes. Mm. Every day, local news is six. If you're in New York, local news is six. National news is seven. You would see the Vietnam War. Plus, I was seeing the anti-war movement here. So I was really born in the right pocket while I was old enough to see what was happening but young enough not to be drafted. Hmm. And I'd also love to know the greatest lesson you've learned from a black vet. I mean, a lot of us were raised by black veterans. Um, I was, and you know, so was Sylvia. Courage. And again, I like to add that uh, I, this is not the second time I've done about a film about black people fighting war. I did a film called Miracle right. Saint mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, black, black soldiers, Buffalo soldiers, 92nd Division, the fought in World War II in Italy against Mussolini's fascists and Hitler's Nazis. So what I've learned from speaking those, for that film, I spoke to a lot of World War II veterans. Some have died since Miracle Anderson came out, also Tuskegee Airmen. And what I learned was the courage that these brothers had because they were fighting two wars. They were fighting a war in Vietnam they were fighting the war in Japan. They were fighting the war in uh, in in France, in and Germany, and they were fighting for a country that they loved, but didn't love them back. And here we are, right in the middle of this uprising. And I want to I want to make this clear, sisters. I try. I've slipped sometimes. Slip up. But I try to refrain from using the word riot. I use the word uprising. So what you see today is the uprising all over these United States. And what I see today reminds me of what I saw growing up. Speaking of all that's happening in the country right now, I noticed you recently tweeted a video montage showing the deaths of Eric Garner, George Floyd, and the fictional death of Radio Raheem from Do the Right Thing um, with the caption, Three Brothers. Can you talk about the message you were hoping to convey when you shared that? The fictional death of Radio Raheem is based upon the death of Michael Stewart in 1983. Michael Stewart was a good friend of Jean-Michel Basquiat. He was a graffiti artist. And he was tagging the First Avenue station and a bunch of New York City transit cops jumped on him. He died in the coma many days later, but they strangled him to death. That's where I got the idea for the murder of Ray Rahim by the NYPD. So 
Fast forward. When I saw the death, the murder of Eric Gardner, I called my editor, Barry Brown, who edited many of my films, and he edited Do the Right Thing. I said, we got to put something together intercutting between the fictional death of Ray Rahim, but based upon the real-life murder of, of Michael Stewart. We did that. And then when I saw the murder of our brother, George Floyd, I called my now editor, Adam Good, who is edited The Five Bloods. I said, I need you to edit Floyd's murder to the murder of Ray Rahim, fictional, but based upon Michael Stewart with with the uh, Eric Gardner. And uh, I was on uh, Don Lemon's show Sunday night, and that's where we had the world premiere for it. Yeah. And I think the exhausting part for a lot of Black people right now is that it's so clear but there's the conservatives and then there's white people. Even on Twitter that I'll see will we'll try to rewrite what's happening already. Don't don't spend your time arguing with people. Oh, I don't. I definitely do not. I do, because I got time. I be having time sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's Scotty. Hello. That's Scotty you gotta talk to about fighting with the trolls. Well, sometimes because... you gotta sometimes you feel you gotta put some people in check. Yeah, right? sometimes you just gotta correct <laughs> some people because misinformation is the worst information. like I cannot stand misinformation so if somebody does have that or decides to do that on social media and it gets retweeted a thousand trillion times i have to say something something has to be said you're right you're right you're absolutely right but my but bad. i won't go i won't go for it like I, I say what i need to say and then i'm out you know what i'm saying i gotta protect my peace a little bit hey my bad you're absolutely yeah. right sister. You, it's, it's a balance you highlighted in the film bobby seal's speech where he recounts the times black men were on the front lines fighting for something they never got, fighting for something they were never prepared to even get in the first place. I mean, that people weren't prepared to give black people in the first place, which was freedom. Do you believe we are free? And what does freedom look like to you, Spike? Well, I haven't seen it. Hmm. We haven't seen it mm. since 1619. When ancestors brought to Jamestown, Virginia, we have not seen freedom. We've seen glimpses of it, patches, but how can we say we've seen freedom when we see black people, they're like snuff films. And then think of all the people who were murdered before the technology and whatnot. So I don't know how we call ourselves. Okay, let me just say this. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm, I'm gonna roll it back. <laughs> I don't feel free. I cannot feel free when I see w- with my eyes. Even though I wear glasses, I still see it. <laughs> I, I got four eyes. <laughs> so you see it twice better. <laughs> Here's what we need. I think it's a whole different study now. Post-slavery stress symptoms. We here in the year of our Lord 2020, mm-hmm. we are still dealing with slave stress from slavery. God is still with us. That that is the new study. 
We as people of color, ancestors of slave from Mother Africa, we are still dealing with post-slavery stress syndrome. Yeah. I agree. No, and I think that trauma only multiplies with each and every thing. It's slavery, and then it's trying to, then it's, you know, the Great Depression hitting us when we already have nothing, and not us being able to bring build generational wealth. Then there's the wars, and then there's the civil rights movement, and then it's just, and, 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 and it's just compiling each other, and I think... We we see how that um, trickles down even to the black family home. You know, I think the even the way this film touches on the trauma black vets buried, both literally and figuratively, from the Vietnam War. Like Scotty mentioned, we both like my stepfather is a, a vet, um, and I Scotty you mentioned that you're Vietnam War. Yeah, and um, I I think about how you know the PTSD of that, even when it's just about how black men are able to love their families and after seeing such things like that did you learn anything or have any thoughts about how all these particular traumas even if we want to you know be specific to the five bloods and even how we saw some of that with the father and son dynamic and just being able to love on each other with all that ptsd and trauma that they've experienced well when the soldiers came back from vietnam war there was no clinical term you know post stress syndrome, you know, that, that, I mean, that there was no term. So that's something that happened afterwards. And when men and women go to war, that changes your whole life. You don't go to a war and come back the same. And that affects you the rest of your life. And uh, for instance, in, in the Five Bloods, the character Paul played by the great, great Delroy Lindo, his character chose not to get help. Yes. And the language that he uses when he says that he's broken. Yes. That was, that tore me up. That tore me up, Spike, because I think a lot of black people feel that way, especially black men, and can't find spaces where they can speak like this, where the only place they could speak like this is with other people who have experienced the same things that they have, which is with his brothers. You know what I'm saying? And I thought that was beautiful. And I wanted to know why you decided as a black man to make sure that was captured. That's the story. That's one of the narratives of... uh the brothers, the bloods that came back from the Vietnam War. Mm. And I'd like to say this, like, across the board, Vietnam vets, when they came back to the States, white, black, brown, red, you know, they were vilified, spat upon, cursed, called baby killers. So when soldiers came back from World War II or Korean War, they were not treated like that. And maybe one of the reasons you could say people knew that the Vietnam War was a moral war. And these guys were just, no, nah, it was hard to say, but, you know, fulfilling their duty for the United States. Yeah. Sent half around the world to kill the people. That is like the film begins with Muhammad Ali saying, you know, no Viet Cong. I don't have no beef. I'm not paraphrasing. I no right. beef. They never called me nigga. <laughs> Right. No, yeah. I can't I can't imagine the cycle the psychology behind go fighting for freedoms, risking your life for a freedom that you're never gonna benefit from. But but here's the thing I like to add. 
And which this is something that we touch upon in the film, sisters. The character Storm and Norman, played by Chadwick Boseman, he references Crispus Attucks, who was the first person to die for this country, mm. a black man mm. killed in the Boston Massacre. So the point that I wanted to make, putting that in the script, is that we've been dying for this country from day one. Hello. So what you talked about, this feeling about fighting for a country that doesn't love you, we've been feeling that from day one. Yep. Yeah. From the get. And I think the thing, while I feel like a lot of black, like a lot of the things that black men and women have to experience, we all like, it doesn't, it doesn't cater to like, you know, the cops are killing black men and black women. You know what I mean? A lot of these things hit both of us. But I do think one of the things that is very specific to black men, especially of that time, is that they were drafted. You know, they it was, they had to fight for a country with no choice. Or, you know, like, or their choices to go to jail. Or their choices, this other thing. So it's like, I can't even imagine, like, I can't even fathom that. Go to jail or go to Canada. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Shout right. out to the ones that got away. Stay up. <laughs> but like. And the piggyback on your thoughts, sister, during the height of the Vietnam War, the African-American population was only 11%. But at the height of the Vietnam War, almost a third of the fighting forces were black. How is it that we're 11% of the American population but almost a third of the fighting forces in Vietnam during the height of the war. And they sent our black asses mm. to the front line. Mm. So it's, it's easy to compare the Vietnam war that you say is a virus to Corona because the Vietnam war, if you say it's a virus, we had more injuries and fatalities than anybody else. And it's the same thing with Corona, we know black and brown people are, are you know, over indexed. I want to touch on the fact that this film is not subtle or does not shy away at all from the gore of this war. And, you know, it was very, it's very violent. It, the camera does not turn away in moments when I think it might. Why was it important for you to make sure that you did not soften like, like the violence or the gore at all? And what do you suggest for maybe people who may be triggered by it? You know, because we're dealing with so much violence, st violence still as black people in America. Well, war is hell. Mm. And I think what's more dangerous is gratuitous violence. Mm. And I wanted to show it the way it is. Not gratuitous, you know, not people shooting people and laughing about it and, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. Mm. Since you've mentioned Crispus Addicts, because your movies are timeless, you have educated and immortalized like many black leaders for kids like me. The reason why I've learned so much about black leaders and actually, you know, um, decided to be as pro-black as I am is because of most of your films, Spike. So as a black filmmaker or even a creator, should it be a choice or an obligation to inform the next generation on our black leaders? That's a great question. And... When I was young, younger, and somewhat immature, I thought that all black artists have to do the same thing. Now, I'm 63 years old, I hope a little wiser, and everybody has 
their own path. Mm. So my mother told me at a very young age, my late dear mother told me at a very young age that all black people were not one monolithic group. We'd all think alike, look alike, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And artists are human beings and they make the choices. Here's the thing though, artists are people. People make the choices they make and they have to live with the, the consequences of their choice. Yeah. So I no longer will say, you know, like, you should be doing this, doing this, you know, I can't do that. I stopped doing that, you know. I mean, me and Tyler Perry are cool. We're mad cool. If we had a beef, you think that he invited me down to Atlanta and, and, and show me what my name is on one of the stages? No, I love that moment. I Ooh. love seeing that. That don't make me cry. Tyler and I are mad cool. It's love. Right. I love that you talked about, like, you touched on black people not being a monolith because I think that that's definitely something we see even, I think that a lot of that comes to, like, we're all unpacking the craziness of having to live in, like, a skin that's viewed as a weapon in our own ways and how we try to relate to that in this country. I mean, we're seeing that even now with the debates about how to vote. Do we vote? How do we get the Democratic you know, party to respect our vote? And how do we do all these other things? And I think the film also touches on that a bit with the Paul character who you made a Trump supporter. Um, and I have to ask you about that. And like, what if this is the message you're trying to continue also? Because, I mean, as somebody who loves me some Delroy, <laughs> Lindo, love the good fight. But that's like, he's he's a real character. There's black people out there right now still rooting for him in the midst of all of these protests that were happening. And I think a lot of us are having a hard time making sense of that. So how do you make sense of it, even? Well, I referred earlier to what my mother, my dear late mother told me about black people, not one mile like the group. Right. So all these guys can't think the same. So Kevin Wilmot and I, my uh, co-writer, we thought about what's the most extreme thing we can do for a character. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, let this guy be a supporter of Agent Orange. You know, he drank the orange Kool-Aid. Shout out to Buster Rhymes. He's the one that came with that term, <laughs> Agent Orange. <laughs> and I think that the numbers show that only a very, very small percentage of black folks voted for Agent Orange. The last presidential president election, this one I think is going to be less. But the fact is, there are some. You cannot say that every single black person who can vote, there's not at least one person who's voted for this. I guy. keep it 100 with you right now. My grandfather voted for Trump. Yeah. We fought. Why? <laughs> what did he tell you? When you tried to put your grandfather on blast, what did he say? I did. I had to put my grandfather on he, he pissed. You, I'm about to say, clearly this is revenge. But like, no. <laughs> I love him. But he kept talking about jobs and how we need more jobs. And, you know, Trump is going to give us more jobs and jobs and employing and jobs. And that's all that he kept saying. Um, but my grandfather... You know, was raised in a different time, and I tried to give him. Was he raised in the south? Yes, he was raised in the south. Uh, there you go. That's something good too. Yeah, and you know, uh, I try to give him grace, but I don't let him off the hook. Um, he now knows he's made the biggest mistake of his life 
ever <laughs> when we have the conversation because I never let him forget it because, you know, black women did their thing. You know, I just like to point out we did. black women did their thing. <laughs> we and, 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 and I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, story. I just need to be honest. There's a way that we as black people can disagree. And it's not about shouting and this and that. Like, let me explain to you where you went wrong. I'm thinking. And they tell me, why are you thinking that? Right. Also, speaking of love, I think that, you know, one of the things we really appreciated was how you made an effort to show black men love on each other and black men tackle the topic. That was deliberate. Talk about the talk about your intention there. Well, a lot of times we don't see black men love each other. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about a physical love. I'm talking about a spiritual love. Mm. And a lot of times we've been raised as black men that to show emotion, to cry, we treat our sons like that. Boy, why are you crying? Mm-hmm. Right. And that stuff is generational. It's passed down and down and down where I understand the thinking where like we can't, we can't, afford to show any weakness. We gotta be strong all the time. Mm. But that takes a toll where you're raised and showing your emotions is is phrased as weakness, as being a punk. You know, so we still have a lot of issues with black masculinity, you know? That's that's you know, I'm not you know this. I'm not, I'm not telling you Educated, <laughs> educated sisters that, <laughs> that you know already. You know, we got issues. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what? And then I'll just say this too. I'll ask this and then we can just. But at the end of the movie, <laughs> you quoted one of my favorite people ever, which is Langston Hughes. I'm trying not to cry. America never was America to me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. (sighs) Surely a quote that rings true today. But what does that quote mean to you, Spike? I think that our ancestors were stolen from Mother Africa. 1619. The first slave ship landed in Jamestown, Virginia. United States of America, the foundation of the United States of America was stealing of the land for the native people genocide of native people and slavery that is the motherfucking foundation of the united states of america anybody says love it or leave it fuck them mm-hmm. we're not going back we'll go back to visit mm-hmm. but we're not unmasked and leave this country we built this country we built this country we would die for this country we, as we've seen this film, Christmas Addicts was the first person to die for the United States of America, a black man. So we got blood, sweat, and tears in this country. And that is why we have fought and died for this country, for the promise, for the promise, which Langston Hughes is talking about in that poem which was quoted by Dr. Martin Luther King, a speech at Riverside Church, April 4th, 1967, and he was assassinated to the day Mm -hmm. a year later. Mm -hmm. So 
this is our country and the struggle continues till we get our freedom. Thank you so much, Spike, for that. Thank you. Thank you for sitting with us. Thank you for talking to us. You know what? Let me say this, though. Why got to be on a movie? Why got to have a movie to be on your show? Oh, (laughs) please no. You can always come. You can always always welcome back. You know, you are a top three guest. Top three. First three out the gate. All right. So. So we don't have to wait for my next film for me to come back, right? No, please no. come back and anytime. You know, like I said, I'm on Dean. I'm on Dean Street. Come on, just yell up. Come on down. I'm <laughs> in Newark, so it's a bit different. <laughs> oh, you're, you're I'm in, in Brick City. Yes, so I'm not Brick City. She's in Best I Do or Die, and I'm in Fort Green. The Fort. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Spike. Thank you, thank you, thank yes, you for thank doing you. this. Anytime please, you want, ladies. Please be safe. We need you. Yeah, we will. All right. Now is the time where we put you on to some new, new shit. (laughs) Sylvia, what are you recommending this week? Okay, so keeping in this episode's theme of talking to black men and brotherhood and fathers and all of that, I wanted to recommend a product this week that works as much for men as it does for women. And that is Ren Clean Skin Care's toner. It's called Ready Steady Glow Daily Aha Tonic. And um, this is not an ad, I must say. Just get that out there. It's not. <laughs> but it is a life tip that will get you glowing for the rest of your days. Please. Wash your face. Wash your face. Tone it and moisturize it. Yes. (laughs) If you're a black man, even those three steps should be in your routine. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. How about you, Scotty? What you got? Well, aside from, I want to put y'all on to protecting black women. I also want to put you on to, you know, holding y'all accountable. But, well, I want to put y'all on to accountability. How about, but aside from that, aside from that, <laughs> um, there is an Instagram called Therapy for Black Men. It's on Instagram, but they also have a website called therapyforblackmen.org where you can find a therapist um, to talk to. They do advanced searches. You know, um, you can join. If you are a therapist, please join to help these black men out. Um, there are tons of black men that I do know and some that I don't that I know for a fact need therapy. And that's not a bad thing. We all need therapy. We all need somebody to talk to. We all need to go after and help and, and work on our uh, mental health wellness. So I just want us to not us, y'all black men to actually take initiative and seek therapy. Mm hashtag please hashtag okay now listen if you need some help with trying to find one i will try to help you sir please i will show you how I uh, of course i, I mean will... find a therapist yourself you got the phone right in your hand i get it it's hard but they like you just yeah. gave them the resource to do it like... i know i know see that's me that's okay <laughs> that's yep. what we do yeah so again <laughs> there we go but i'm glow from like the inside it. out just like sylvia said <laughs> we got you from the we got you covered from the front and on the inside the outside right. and the inside because both need to be good both hello if both ain't cute it right. ain't you ain't gonna you know i ain't trying to make you my baby daddy and that's just the facts of it hello all right that's our show 
thank you all for tuning in. Our show is a production of Pineapple Street Studios in partnership with Netflix and Strong Black Lead. Shout out to our team. Executive producers are Agaranesh Ashagre and Jasmine Lawson. Our lead producer is Jess Jupiter, and our music is by Amanda Jones. Special thanks to Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Make sure you share all of your thoughts with us on this episode using the hashtag OKNowListen. Follow Strong Black Lead on the socials at Strong Black Lead. And follow us too. I'm at Sylvia Obell. And I'm at Scotty Beam. Until next time, folks, stay blessed.